We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Mike, no Darius today. And in yesterday's pod, we lamented an ugly win. The Lakers won a, a an especially terrible basketball game against the Portland Trailblazers. And on the second night of a back-to-back, they lost a much better basketball game, but the season finds new ways to torture us nonetheless, Mike. Uh, wild swing of emotions at the end of that game. It was a TNT-only broadcast last night, but you were still in the building. What was your reaction from ground level? Uh, Pete, I <laughs> – when Darius said he wasn't going to be here, I was kind of like, well, it's, I, I almost needed the three minutes that he was going to talk here to gather <laughs> myself again. <laughs> it's just – it's just been in a lot of ways this Murphy's Law – uh, season and and this continued and it just I, I I was feeling for Laker fans out there watching this game you know uh, including you including Darius and because I as we talk about I try I try to stay in my professional mode when I'm watching these games and, and of course like everybody else right there you're it's this head versus heart feel mm-hmm. and at the at the end of the game we don't have to relay the entire swing but, you know, from taking the lead with Westbrook to uh, to them go- coming down and answering to the, the go-ahead Malik Monk three uh, that puts him up by two. And then the Morris answer. And then the AD alley-oop. Like, all of this stuff is going on. And, and I am recognizing at this time that we're still going to do a walk-off interview for Spectrum, even though we didn't have the game, because they'll show it on the post-game show. So it's pre and post. That stuff stays the same. And I the way that it works is I have to, I have to text the PR people the order of guys that we'd like to talk to but we don't we get last choice when it's not an actual spectrum game so i just send a list of four guys right because because they've got to do you know national radio national uh tv and then our radio gets priority so i think i was i was going to end up with ariza uh most likely or austin reeves one of the two and and so i'm down there and i have to walk over and stand right behind the bench and and the only issue with that is that my view is super obstructed because I'm basically standing behind Dwight Howard at this point. 
and and the benches. <laughs> and so I can't. So I'm looking up to the jumbotron, and I can see I'm closer. I can see the alley oop to AD pretty clearly, right? Because that's high in the air. And then I'm kind of peering around the shoulder, and I can't see exactly what happens on the Reggie Jackson play. I have subsequently watched it about a hundred times, and <laughs> as I'm sure you have. And then when so that goes in, no timeout. Advance the ball, AD comes down and misses, and it's just this wild swing, Pete. And I and I'm looking around behind me, and it's the Laker fans at this point have taken over the arena and are loud. And the Clipper fans are trying to be louder back. It's just this this uh swing swing of emotions. And like many other things this year, it ends up going the Clippers' way. So what was your viewing experience? Uh you could see everything clearly. I, I'm uh, I'm guessing that it was the same as mine. Just yeah, it, it was it, just maybe you were throwing stuff. I don't know. No, I, so I was less angry about last night's game than I was about the win against Portland, right? Yeah, just anger, because, anger, not the right word for me, bro. But just like it, it just was. Yeah, it's, well, it's a, such a, a frustrating season. Yeah, man. Yeah, exactly. It's, before, so we hit that Malik three to go up by two, and the Clippers call a timeout. And I am praying to the basketball gods. I'm looking up. I'm sitting on my couch. I'm looking up going, please just give us one of these. Just because, Mike, it w- the Charlotte game came down to the last minute. The Atlanta game can- came down to the last minute. The Portland game, which we won, came down to the last minute. And this one came down to the buzzer. And even that AD floater, it's a tough shot for sure. But he's great at that shot. And that went in and out. It rattled in. It was straight. It was right there. And that Morris three especially – like he had to pump fake and sidestep uh, an Ariza closeout who had the one by two. Russ had dropped down to help on Kennard. And so it was still a pretty tough shot. That like kind of leaning forward, ducking under with a long arm behind you. And the Clippers hit a ton of those, which is in part what they do. But Marcus Morris, especially uh, Reggie Jackson hit several shots where it was just like, you got a hand up in their face, you're pressuring, back pressuring them. And then they make it. It's just like, Nice shot, you know, but man, if it ain't one thing, it's the other, Mike. We played pretty well. We we came back. It was, as you, as you uh, had, had mentioned, like, it didn't feel like we were going to win that game. And it was one of our, uh, Harrison calls these fake comebacks. <laughs> but I don't think this was a fake comeback. We played pretty well and, and um, got ourselves back in the game with, I think, like, AD was wonderful once again, getting to the front of the rim. But again, I'm just sitting there praying to the basketball gods, Mike, but the, the prayers were not answered. We're being tested. Well, in terms of the playing well or not, and, and I, I agree with that because sometimes you just come back because the other team completely lets their foot off the pedal. In mm-hmm. fact, that happens every night in most NBA games. And then the team that's up big usually reestablishes control. But mm-hmm. in this case, the Clippers just were hitting some ridiculous tough shots. They were hitting – they were 60% through three quarters. And Morris and Ibaka – could not miss, right? So this was not, I didn't think this was where the Lakers were, were not being rewarded because they weren't competing and the other team was just getting completely wide open shots. Now the Clippers were getting good shots, but that's because they have a good offense and they have a spread, like they have like a space five um, and a Baku who could also go down and punish in the post, even though he hasn't been doing that this year. That was his season high, by the way. So mm-hmm. I didn't, yeah, that was what the feeling was, was, was like, yeah, they, without LeBron, the Lakers are limited some, and then without Carmelo Anthony, who was the maybe outside of AD, this the number two reason why they won the game the night before against Portland, he goes down at the end of the half when the game was close with a hamstring injury. 
And at the time of our recording, Pete, we don't have more on that yet. Uh, I know they're going to look at it again this morning. Needless to say, I mean, he's, you know, he's not going to play tomorrow, right? I think, I think we can all assume that, but yeah, that, that swing of emotion was emblematic of the whole season where you've got a, a couple of games, most recently Brooklyn, where LeBron and AD are on the court together and we're, it's like, all right, here comes the run to the finish line. Yep. Now this is the team yep. that it's going to be. And then the next, and then, so that's the emotional high in New York. And then you wake up the next morning, LeBron James has knee soreness and right. And it's like immediately on the group text, like, Hey guys, uh, <laughs> this is coming out in a second. This sucks. You know, it's just been that way. And this is another extension of that. So I'm just, I'm curious for a couple other basketball takes from you out of the game um, as I like what you noticed, who you liked, what you saw, and um, whether it was in that final crazy minute or just the whole game in general. Yeah. So two quick hitters, I suppose. The Ibaka dominance in last or as well as Ibaka played in last night's game was I view that differently than. Kennard or or especially Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris just hitting tough shots. They were really exploiting our our switching, which again, yeah. I'm a big advocate for. But when you get Malik Monk on Serge Ibaka, there's a certain amount of like, he's just way too big for him. And he got a lot of action around the rim on that. And that's in part because we're starting really small two through four. And this is a conversation we've had this week, right? And I had proposed, hey, let's start Melo. Well, guess what? That's not an option anymore to go bigger. And we'll start talking more about him in the second segment, Mike. Well, Pete, it's also a tough contrast to the team that right that the Lakers that were so successful with where they were pretty much bigger at every position and now now you're out there watching this you know some of these same guys like an AD mm. and, and THC but now we're we're small you know or the, 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 100% yeah, and that's the small. we're we're like the complete opposite team of what we've been the last couple of seasons and learning the why behind what you do and like when you switch and and when it's like oh we need to go away from this the Clippers played zone against us. I, I don't mean to beat that dead horse, but it would be helpful to have that zone look. It's just not something that Vogel likes to do. And so the Ibaka dominance was, I think, more of a function of us switching on to him. He's one of the guys where if a guy is not a role threat, but is a strength threat, and Ibaka is so much more floor bound than he used to be, those are the guys that the drop coverages work more against because it's harder to see. You're not going to see as many Serge Ibaka rolls down the lane and skies through the air and hammers it down like a Gonkwu or a young Serge Ibaka, right? Um, so, so that was one element of it. And then secondly, we talked yesterday's pod, I think, about like, I don't have expectations of Russ as an organizer, but I do have expectations of Russ as an attacker. And he was not good enough through the first two quarters, especially, and mostly the first three. He really spearheaded that comeback in the fourth quarter, Mike. But I thought that, like, in terms of what are my expectations of Russell Westbrook and how he should play, like, do what you're good at. And I thought that fourth quarter was an example of how it should look, whereas the first two maybe three quarters were like, you're being way too passive, especially within this context. So those are the two things that stood out to me. The one play that we were discussing in the post game, like waiting for some guys to come and do the interview was that of course the final Reggie Jackson spin move. What did you see Russ being kind of supposed to do? And, and what did you think ended up happening? And to set that up. So West. 
like so Reggie Jackson's dribbling up on the left side and I'm trying to remember who was who Westbrook was initially on but maybe it's Terrence Mann comes up from the corner and Russ sort of follows him but it man sets kind of like a hat you know kind of like a fake screen it wasn't even a ghost I don't know what it was but he doesn't make contact and so and Russ stays with Jackson but he he goes to his left. It almost looks like Reggie's going to spin into the corner for a three, the same place that Morris hit it. And Russ kind of goes for the swipe. Is is that just kind of just basketball instinct? You kind of take it, or is he supposed to cut off the the potential drive to the rim since Austin is there and by stepping in? Like what? what how would you break down that play? So that play was both an Austin mistake and a Russ mistake. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about that play. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So it's funny, Mike, when uh, when you first joined the pod, one of the things that you mentioned was you realized that Darius and I try to watch games and see the game through a a coach's point of view. And it made us and the pod kind of make sense more to you that like, oh, this is the perspective that they're coming from. And and what's funny is that I, I get that. But this season has ignited that in me more than any other season. I'm way more in my coach's brain because the types of teams that we've been the last couple of seasons in particular are these really big teams. And it's not a style of basketball that I'm as familiar with. And Frank Vogel is an expert at it. So I've learned a ton about how to play big versus how to play small. But my coaching experience, again, on lower levels, but a lot of times the principles are are very similar, come from playing small, like we're smaller, less athletic. You were talking about that moment where the other team walks into the gym and they got that one six, seven dude. And you're like, Oh shit. Like I was cracking up when you were saying that because 
that was always a moment that even we'd have. That was your life. Yeah, well, that was my life. And that was something that we had conversations about. Like, I see you guys when you see them come into our gym or we walk into their gym and they get into their layup lines or they start to walk out on the court. I see all you looking at the other end of the floor like, what do they got? Who do they got? And anyhow, all of that's to say that playing small and playing smaller is just a whole it's a whole thing. There's all these different elements that come with it that are totally my jam and my experience with basketball. This particular play is right up there. That idea of how to switch, how to blitz, how to effectively defend in these types of scenarios. So you're right. Man or whomever it was sets that screen to get the switch. Uh, Ty Lu and, and company said in their post game that they were trying to target Austin Reeves. One of the reasons for that is because of his strength or, or lack thereof. Now, Jackson hits the burners to try to if you think about it, if you have a familiarity with like NFL concepts, you want to get the edge, right? If a running back runs on a sweep, you want to get outside because that's once you can that's when you can start turning upfield and really getting yardage. And so the defensive end, especially, their job is to set the edge, meaning that I'm gonna push you back inside. Now, Austin did his job on that, but the mistake that he made is he didn't come up high enough. You have to set the edge higher than the level of the screen. And then Russ's mistake, he took a bad angle there. It's good to trap, but one of the things that you teach when you're teaching the ball, the, the on-ball player is if we're going to trap, then if if you get beat outside leg, if you're in Austin's position and Reggie Jackson goes around you, that's Austin's fault. If you get beat inside, spins back middle, the trapper, that's their fault. And so Russ took a bad angle on that one. But part of it is because Reggie Jackson was able to set the edge himself and get that head of steam so that he had already hit the afterburner uh, at, when when he made that spin move. Russ would have had to take a very sharp angle for him to not split that. So it's also one of those plays where like, that's a really nice play by Reggie Jackson. But that's how I saw it was if I had to make a blame pie there is I'd probably say 65 Russ's fault, 35 Austin's fault. Oh uh, yeah, that's interesting. And it's, it's also something that one, as you get down to the stretch, we do do way too much of, of overanalyzing that specific play compared to all of the previous ones before it, but yeah. it's impossible. Like that's how the brain works. Oh, well, if I would have just done this and then that would have been very much erased if AD's shot that admittedly is very difficult, but one that he is, excellent at and he's got this great touch for being so uh so big and, and to be able to get that off so it was just one of many things Pete but the other the other part of this I think we probably should fo- spend some time focusing on is just Carmelo Anthony and regardless of not of not knowing in, in the context of Melo Trevor Ariza who was much better in this game you know than he's been and that does provide I think for the Lakers internally some level of the next thing to kind of glam onto and try to take some hope from my initial caution is just that Ariza having played limited minutes these last couple of weeks, maybe that was something that led to to him having some better legs in this one. And almost just like Carmelo Anthony having to play in a back-to-back and and being required to do much more because LeBron is out. Now Ariza is going to be required. And it's just this, the chain just keeps breaking in that sense. Right. But yeah, but that's the my, that's my initial thought about it is that Melo, who knows how long he's going to be out. We don't know what level of a hamstring strain it is at the time of recording. Ariza can step in and do some of that, Pete. But I'm I'm now concerned that they have even less behind him 
uh, in case uh, in case he ends up you know, not being able to shoulder the load. So what's the standout for you with that context? Yeah, it's a roster wide problem, Mike. If AD has to play the five spot, then we only have two forwards right now. And that's Stanley Johnson and Trevor Ariza. That's who closed the game. And so Dwight gave us some good minutes. I thought uh, this it wasn't Stanley's best game, but I have thought Ariza had that really bad game against Miami, his old team, right? And that was when we recorded afterward the Ariza pod where – I was very much like, yeah, we, you can't play this dude. Like, he, he, and you certainly can't start him. And that's exactly what happened. The next game, Ariza was completely out of the rotation. Now, I think going from Mello to Ariza is less of a, of a stark drop off. And since that game, I thought Ariza's played two of his better games. I, I always put a lot of stock in player body language when I rewatch games. And in that Miami game, Mike, he was so frustrated with himself. And there had been kind of this like vibe to him. Again, this might be projection on my part, but this vibe to him where it was like, yeah, I'm working my legs back up. I'm, you know, getting back into the flow. That was kind of his vibe for the first dozen games or so. And then the last couple that he was in the rotation, it was like, oh man, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not playing well at all. And I'm, and then getting benched, coming back. Going from Melo to Ariza, and now we need LeBron back, right? It's something where we just don't have enough forwards, and, and obviously you need LeBron no matter how many forwards you have. But Ariza, even moving as he does, is a better defender than Melo is right now. What was so harmful about him is that he wasn't moving well and he wasn't making shots. Whereas when you have Carmelo Anthony on the floor, he could have a game like the Blazers at any night, and he's always a threat. So that's something that certainly helps. But I do think Ariza is still a better defensive player. And I've been impressed by the defense the last few games relative to the talent that we have. It's been our offense that hasn't really been able to come through and, and play well. But if we get LeBron back, again, we're at that like just enough. But we need more forwards, Mike, like regardless of how it happens at the trade deadline. We need at least one, probably two more bodies. Yeah, I think I see it that way, too. And definitely that's what happened in the second half in the Clipper game where with Ariza in there for Mello, I did think they were better defensively. And it Malik Monk, once he got going late and AD and then whoever that sort of third guy offensively is more difficult to pin down without Mello and without LeBron in those situations. But they were able to just live off that. And it, it was a it was an 8-0 run to start the fourth quarter. The Clippers were really struggling to score. Once they got Ibaka and especially Morris back in, they got going a little bit. And then Reggie Jackson did a lot of the scoring down the stretch. But, you know, that was not it was something that you could see the blueprint for the Lakers playing defense that way. And this is where Frank Vogel does get some of that understanding and some of that credit is there's a recognition that the offense is not going to be super high powered and super organized. and It's not going to necessarily always look pretty. But the defense can be more counted on to an extent that they're going to hang around in the game uh, and and have a and have a chance to go and win as they did in Portland when Anthony Davis shut it down. And he almost did so again. They just end up coming up a little bit short. Yep. And, and that's going to happen, especially during this stretch. I thought that fourth quarter where Russ really turned it on was an example of what we can be offensively, even with LeBron out. And the reason that matters is ideally when LeBron is back, to me, the biggest question in terms of what this team can be is what do those 12 minutes where he's not playing look like? How well can we play during that period of time? And so I thought that fourth quarter was a bit of a like, you need Russ to be aggressive. You need, and I think the Russ and Monk combo, I love that combo in the backcourt because they are different at attacking. And so if like, 
if Malik, if, if things are difficult for Malik, they're probably easier for Russ. Or if things are circumstances are difficult for Russ, i.e., packed paint, you know, no real driving lanes, that means that bodies are in the paint. And Malik Monk has that great perimeter scorer. I just really love that that compliment. Well, there's one other thing too about Malik that I I have been enjoying more that he's had the ball in his hands to attack as opposed to just being more of the catch and shoot yeah. or explosive threat when LeBron's in the game, is that now you can see that Monk has never been huge. He's never been a big guy uh, in relative to the, the guys that he's playing against, at least at the highest levels, which he's been playing at now for, you know, it seems like much of his life. But he's got that's where all of the craft comes in, where he can he'll, he's got the up and unders. Uh, he's got the kind of hanging. He's got the reverse. He's got all of the stuff that we've seen in flashes. You see a lot of it. And he didn't finish a ton of it. And I think partly because he's basically been out of practice with that kind of stuff. But he's got all that stuff. And and like that was uh, that to me is really fun to watch. That's really exciting basketball. And I, I do think that increasing his usage is absolutely a way to keep going, um, even even to an extent, Pete, once LeBron comes back. And, you know, that's where you can get into that whole conversation of, you know, how many like do you actually start him? Not have Bradley out there, start Stanley. Right. And then you're you're kind of looking for that additional that additional piece still. But it's that part is intriguing to me. And I'm looking forward to this next stretch to see if Malik can can get some more of that going. You are speaking my language right now. Let's take our one final break and come back and keep going down that road. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I love the Malik AD ball screen action, Mike. It, whenever two players are on the court together, one of the things that I look and hope for is they're good on their own, but is there some kind of multiplier effect when you put them together? And I always text you guys in, in the thread. This is like my nerdy, one of my many nerdy coaching irritations is one-handed passes off of the dribble they're easier to intercept and this is more important on like high school level basketball but when you make a one-handed pass you can't ball fake it right so if somebody off the ball anticipates the read if you don't have that second hand on the ball then it's going to be a turnover you can't pull it back that said it is very helpful in lob situations. I thought AD was wonderful at attacking where the Clippers were really weak, which is around the basket. And one of the ways to do that is he was more of an aerial threat, a uh, uh, roll to the basket and throw it up. And so you got Malik coming downhill off that ball screen who can finish at all sorts of crazy angles with either hand. He He's getting better at absorbing contact and finishing through that. And and so it poses this this really difficult problem, Mike, of like, do I do step up on Malik? But if I do that too much, then it's AD, you know, through the air that's really that's really problematic. And Malik is going to make that one-handed lob accurately, frequently. And so that like two-man action, that to me is a cover for some of Russ's limitations in the half court. Is that with Russ, you're always going to go under the screen. You're not. You're gonna. I'm going to take away AD's roll lane as much as possible. Now there are times where you can get that, and they did last night for sure. But I think that having either a Russ in AD two man game or Malik in AD two man game, 
those are two completely different two-man games from the defense's perspective. And I just really have liked that combo so far. No doubt. And it's funny the way that I was talking about Monk and AD. I didn't even mention Russ. And you're right. Of course, that would be that would be the next piece offensively to get you into stuff. But that's um, I yeah, I don't know if that was partly a Freudian slip, but Russ, of course, <laughs> Russ, of course, has to continue right to to carry some of this burden. And what do you end up? I think he ended up seven for 18. Russ's efficiency these last couple nights, like it had gone. I think he had found somewhat of a comfort zone when or at least some level of an efficiency zone when the Brown was out there and it has kind of gone back down since his usage has increased and since they've needed him to score more. And it's not that his turnovers haven't gone bonkers or anything. Like he hasn't just started to um, completely cough the ball up like was happening a little bit earlier in the season, although they have gone up some, but his assists also weren't that high. Like he had four assists last night to two turnovers and the shooting was, as as I just mentioned, seven for 18. So it's a little, that's the part that I'm still trying to figure out what they're what Russ is wanting to do versus what they're wanting him to do how much of that has to do with Monk's increase in usage how much of it has to do with how much AD is getting the ball and where so maybe Pete I'd love your thought on that before we get to a little bit of a bigger picture now taking a look at the standings after the Lakers end up cruelly losing this game and what that's going to mean as as we get into the the next you know month and change left in the season two months and change I should say yeah with with Russ Prior to the game against the Blazers, somebody had asked Vogel what he wanted from Russ. And the first thing he said was to play within himself and play hard on defense. I appreciate that sentiment for sure. And especially to play hard on defense is a non-negotiable. But Russ playing within himself, I don't think yields the results that we want, especially in the absence of LeBron. Now, in terms of his scoring efficiency, I, you know, I rewatched the game and he had two or three kind of grenades, one second left on the clock and have to heave it from 32 feet, you know, where his scoring efficiency in aggregate, because he had that good fourth quarter, I, I viewed it as like a seven of 16 type of game, just because it's, he's throwing a couple of 30 footers up and I generally don't count those heaves. So he was fine, but we needed him to be better than fine, Mike. We need him to not have four assists and turn, two turnovers. We need him to have 10 assists and four turnovers and be that, especially in the absence of LeBron, we're not going to be an organized team. So let's be a disorganized team. Let's be a chaotic team. Let's be a team that pushes the pace, that attacks in the less structured points of the game. And the version of Russ that plays, quote unquote, within himself, I think is too passive for what he does and when you slow the game down, that's when you really start to start to get to the like to the weaknesses of his game, right? The skill def- deficiencies that do I really want him taking that pull up jumper? And then the other thing is like you got to finish your shots to the he had a he you, you had made a comment yesterday that we have a couple guys who like to hit on 19 and the trying to dunk the ball when you have an open layup and you can't palm the ball the way that you want to man, just take the layup. Ain't no need to hit on 19 right there in the first quarter where we're just trying to get into the flow of the game. I get you want to have that big dunk that lights up the crowd and all of that, but take the two points and don't don't hit on 19. So it to me, it's a combination of if that's what Vogel's saying in the post game, you know, that's or pregame, that's certainly what they're telling Russ behind closed doors. It's like, you know, play calm, play within yourself. I think that's I, I understand the sentiment, but it's not it's not who Russ is for better or for worse. Well, you've hit on kind of the paradox, though, right, of 
Russ on, on in offense and what I think has been going on for his last several teams. And like for him to to feel like he's really being optimized versus what the coaches and sort of some of the tape and all of that feels like is optimized. And I don't know if those have always been aligned. And I, I still think that there's that there's that struggle to try and find it. And I'm sympathetic to both. I'm, I'm sympathetic to Russ trying to figure out, like trying to figure that out, which he says all of the time when we're still speaking post game. And I'm sympathetic to Frank Vogel as to figure out how to use this, what you've termed Pete in the past, like this attack, this weapon, right? This sort of, uh, this, I'm Tasmanian not good enough with, devil of a basketball yeah, player. <laughs> I mean, I, this is where I need Michael Thompson to get into military history, to find the proper, uh, the proper weaponry and, and which, uh, which, whether it's air force or Navy or army or whatever it might be, but the way that Russ can be deployed in that sense, you know, does seem to be sometimes the coaches want it to be a surgical strike, right? And in Russ, it wants to be more like a, about Russ. Yeah. In, yeah it's, it's more like car- carpet bombing, like just from all angles uh, all over the place. Yep. So it's a, yep. <laughs> it's a very, it's not an easy thing. And, and that's just another extension of it. So let's go ahead and, and look Pete now at this Western conference picture uh, that we've been discussing ad nauseum all year to the point where I'm, I'm now zeroing in my focus a little bit more for a while. It was watching kind of Phoenix and golden state at the, at the beginning of the season and how much were they pulling away uh, while LeBron was out with his initial absence. And then it kind of turned to Memphis and Utah. And actually I shouldn't say Memphis yet. Cause they had yet to get really hot, but Utah and, and that kind of, that kind of group. And then now, or I shouldn't even say now. Last week, it was more Dallas and Denver. And this was when LeBron was still playing. And the Lakers looked to be on the ascent. And it was, all right, how many games in the last column are those two couple teams ahead? Well, it looks like the Lakers are going to start playing better now that AD is back. Now, that transition has gone to the Timberwolves and the Clippers. And to a lesser extent, especially after the Lakers beat them a couple games ago, Portland. And... The Timberwolves now, Pete, are three games ahead of the Lakers in the loss column. They have a super easy schedule going up to the All-Star break. They just beat Detroit last night. They have two days off. Then they get Detroit again at home. The Clippers' schedule is not as easy as the Timberwolves' schedule. They do have some road games ahead. But that now, like, that represents the seven and the eight. And bringing into this picture is Carmelo Anthony's hamstring injury. How long is he going to be out? Still not knowing when LeBron returns. And... What is your initial takeaway as you as you look at that picture and what the Western Conference is and how the Lakers should be thinking about things? I think we have to get to either six or seven. And when I say seven, that means the seven or eight seed, meaning that you've got two play-in games now, or three, I suppose. The seven and the eight plays, and whoever wins that game gets the seven seed. Then the ninth and tenth plays, and then the loser of the seven-eight game plays the winner of the nine-ten game for the eighth seed. We can't be in that 9-10 game. And right now we are on the standings. We need to get to either the 6th seed or the 7th seed, meaning that we win that 7-8 play-in game. But we have to get to the 7 or 8th seed to get there. I, I don't see us having a path to where we need to go and, and enough time if we get that 8th seed. Now, I think that I don't view Denver in particular as out of reach as you do, but I'm also – in more of a mental spot where I want to see us playing well. And at the very least, we've established something, I think, over the last three, four, five games defensively where we're, we have a little more of the rope in that respect. And my expectations of how good we can be offensively without LeBron are 
kind of low. So my thought is that if we could play defense like this, when LeBron gets back, we're going to be a pretty good team. And so I'm in more of a mindset where we have to play better and I'm less concerned about the standings while also thinking we cannot be in that 9-10 game in the play. And where do you stand on all this? I am in – so in, in the ideal everybody is healthy spot and even just if the Lakers are healthy. And, and of course, this is mostly about LeBron. But if LeBron is able to actually come back and is healthy and can stay in the floor, then I think the Lakers with LeBron are at least slightly better than Denver and Dallas. But I don't think they can make up five games in the loss column um, at this point of the season because I'm baking into that that with LeBron having this knee swelling, I'm not sure that when he comes back, that's just going to it's just going to suddenly be great. And he's not going to have any additional swelling moving forward. Yeah. And again, this is all speculation just on my own part. We, I know nothing more uh, than that he is out with knee swelling. But to me, that is that is something that probably at least to some extent has to be ongoing. And, and so that's that's one thing baked in. Secondly, Jokic has been healthy all year and is not he's not the kind of guy that, you know, pulls up in transition because he's exploding down the court and has like a soft tissue injury. You know, he's not the kind of guy that's jumping into traffic in the rim and landing on an ankle. You know, I, th- I, and as, as long as he is healthy, I think Denver plays at about the pace they're playing right now. And they could Same. even get better if they get Murray back. So, so again, like there, I see them maintaining right now. They're at about a five fifty winning percentage. Dallas, even though they lost their last two uh, since Porzingis went out, Luca has been playing much better. And I see them as being able to cont- Luca being able to control to some senses once we get to, to you know late March and April, and Dallas or Denver has to go out to win a game or two to ensure that they're ahead of the Lakers. Jokic and, and Luca can do that all by themselves on a given night. Mm-hmm. You know, especially sure. especially against a team like you name any one of fifteen teams, right? That just by talent alone. So I see those I see those spots basically as out of reach, barring some type of injury. Um, to the stars and knock on wood, that doesn't happen to anybody in the league. Therefore, all of the focus to me is on, as you said, Pete, as on limiting the potential requirement of the play-in by really focusing on trying to get to seven. And guess what? That's what Minnesota and the Clippers are going to do as well. And I think Minnesota is has the higher ceiling there just based on talent and athleticism and health and all of that moving forward. And they already have a three-game edge on the Lakers in the loss column. In part because of, you know, because of the game that the Lakers lost to the Wolves uh, in Minnesota, which is when AD went down the initial time, right, with the MCL injury. So, but that's the schedule watching that I'm going to be doing. And the Lakers, that's why even that shot that AD takes that doesn't go in is just a killer in this kind of thing. Because they got the tiebreaker now too. yeah, Yeah, you're inverted with the Clippers. Not only that, it's an additional loss in the loss column. So it's, I don't think it's too early uh, to start to worry about even that seven spot. And the thing that can convince me otherwise is seeing LeBron James come back and seeing him look like LeBron James. But I don't I don't expect that the Lakers, like Pete, if you just look at the Lakers schedule coming up, it's it's not exactly easy. Like it's getting into their tougher national TV portion uh, of of the schedule. And all of those teams, just like the teams that are bad, but all of those teams are going to be especially eager to try and beat the Lakers on national TV. And, and so that, there you go. So my, I, I don't know what level it sounds like my, uh, my um, level of concern as to where the Lakers would end up in the standings would be Pete, but it, it feels high, at least, at least when I talk about it. 
No, I mean, even in the best case scenarios, Mike, we're talking about, you know, not having home court advantage for any series, uh, you know, six seed. I know you think that it's out of reach. I think that it's that we've got an, a, an outside shot, certainly very outside, but an outside shot of getting there in part because I think that when we have all of our guys, we're going to be a really good team. <laughs> but I've been saying that just you wait all season and you make a great point that it's not like LeBron's going to come back and all of a sudden his knee or nothing else is going to go wrong. The only thing I would say is that you could say the same thing about Dallas and, and Denver is that they can have th- that. The next 25 games are not written, but making up five games in the loss column is certainly a lot and and, and an outside shot of that. But to me, it's way more about just let's get to playing well. And if playing well means that we're the eighth seed and play a road game against the Clippers in the first round in the play in or play a road game, an actual road game against the Timberwolves um, for that spot. If we're playing well, like it's not ideal, but that that's the only way that like that's the only thing that we have control over and this isn't something that i think we want to think a ton about right now we need a good 25 game stretch to evaluate this team going into the off season i thought last season we threw some of the baby out with the bathwater because we blamed some players or thought some some players weren't good enough once ad went down to step up into a bigger role and there were so many injuries last year that i think it obscured our vision on who's good and who's not in at this particular contract or anyway in this particular role that i think that even beyond the value for this season going into the off season and being like this is what fits next to lebron and ad do we need to pivot off of russ do we like just being able to answer those questions are important too so my focus is wholly on like let's get better let's keep improving and let's hold it down as frustrating as it is uh we got a game against the knicks tomorrow to hopefully continue that and that's one that we should win um we'll be back on monday to cover that here on the laker film room podcast James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here by McLaughlin. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Jack with his eighth block shot. NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, two one, one. Miss it. Brian. Unbelievable. For the record. It's over. Shot clocked out of five. Brian. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. 
the Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.